like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. I'm Dr. Amy Thompson. Um, I'm the Chief Executive Officer at the Covenant Children's Hospital. We're in Lubbock, Texas. I'm also a pediatric hospitalist by training um, and still um, actively see patients um, in the hospital as well. So I wanna just do a couple of little disclaimers. So as a reminder, the information provided during this event is only for informational purposes. If you have any questions around the COVID-19 pandemic, please visit our website at providence.org for medical updates. This event does not create a doctor-patient relationship and any questions um, or medical advice that is discussed is not considered guidance on what you should do. For any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or healthcare professional. Um, so with that, we're so glad um, to have today. This is Laurel Jacobs, and I was had the privilege of meeting her earlier. She is the clinical program manager of the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline. Um, and so I just wanna start, uh, Laurel, by saying thank you guys for the work that you do. And um, this is such important work um, and things that are close to my heart, just as both a pediatrician and now someone who runs a hospital. So thank you so much for the work that you guys do. And, and the first question is super simple. So I would just, uh, I would love for you to tell us kind of more about your job. What is it that you do? and you know, kind of what is the, the things that happen um, in your sphere of influence um, in the realm of child abuse? Sure. Um, thank you, Dr. Thompson, for having me today. Mm -hmm. So, um, best to start off explaining what our hotline does. And so, um, the Child Help Hotline is a national hotline, um, mm -hmm. we call from anywhere, even including Canada. And we are information. Um, emotional support, and mm -hmm. access to resources. Um, we use professional counselors on our hotline, um, so everyone has degrees um, and specialties in this field. Um, and we are designed to really step in the gap between anyone that's struggling with some kind of concern related to child abuse and the official reporting agencies. Um, sometimes there's confusion. Every state across the country has its own laws and policies related to abuse. And so reports have to be made to the state that the mm -hmm. abuse is occurring in. Some states have one hotline, some states have separate um, counties. Um, so we have all that information and we want to help someone process is what they're seeing abuse, right? How do they handle it? Um, who do they report to? We can get them that information right away. But then we also have the extra steps, right? Sometimes the system is failing a bit. What are what are other resources people can go to? Uh, we work with a lot of adult survivors. We work with parents that are trying to be preventative or have just found out what's happening to their, to their kids. Um, and then now we have added text and chat to our hotline. Designed specifically to reach youth directly um, because they don't want to call a hotline. That's how they prefer to reach out. And so um, we have a lot of youth reaching out to questions and concerns and, and wanting to seek help. So my role um, as a clinical program manager is 
mostly to support the counselors that we have, these wonderful counselors that work on I make sure they have the information and the resources they need at their fingertips to be the best source of support, um, but that I'm especially involved in that text and chat component. Um, we launched it just over a year ago, and I analyze and um, assess, and we're trying to figure out best practices for how to truly connect and support the kids that are reaching out to our hotline when you have a limited communication like written text or chat. Um, so uh, it's, it's really exciting work, and um, I too am passionate about it. Well, again, thank you so much for the work that you guys do. That's that's I, I think it's so great that you have resources that are not just for providers and parents and you know those involved. I, I echo your uh, sentiment about the uh, the phone and you know these things. I have a, a senior that just graduated this year, and I say the only way that I can talk to him is actually you know through. Uh, in, interestingly, he's uninterested in text. He he wants to, I don't know, communicate through all these other um, sure. social media apps. So that's great that you guys are stepping into that. Um, thing. So let's talk specifically about COVID. So, you know, we've had a lot of things that have happened with COVID, you know, lot, not the least of which was when we had these shelter in place, you know, orders. And, you know, I live in Texas, you know, you're right now in Arizona and we have some other folks, you know, from Providence that are on other parts of the West Coast. And I think all of us are in various stages of those shelter in place orders. But what changes have you seen? So like, is there something that you can talk with us about, about what you've seen um, with your, you know, hotline and these things that relate to the things that have happened with COVID-19? Absolutely. So COVID and the unprecedented conditions added to this extra layer of stress, mm -hmm. instability, and um, complications to families. Some of that was families that were already struggling, maybe, you know, with, with things that were going on, it, it exacerbated that. But I think it also added unprecedented risk to families that didn't know how to handle it. Um, a lot of that is seen in our stories. An example that comes to mind is um, a, a healthcare worker in New York, um, on the front lines, right? She has an essential job. She had young kids and there's no daycare, there's no schools, there's very limited options, but she has to work. So she leaves her kids in the care of a boyfriend, who maybe didn't make the best choices and ended up physically harming her kids. Like it's, it's those kinds of situations. You have um, those increased stressors, whether it's increased substance abuse in the home, you've got close living quarters, and you have people that don't have access to any of the normal healthy outlets or resources that they normally have, right? So they're, they're fighting about school issues and, and food and water scarcity and fears. They're arguing, you know, the, the tensions in the home maybe are, are taking the next extra level. So they're starting at threats and they're actually going to that physical level. So it just adds this extra layer of intensity to things that are always sort of normal, right? And then cutting off any support systems. Yeah, I, we, we've seen the same thing. I, I'm sad to say that the, the county that I live in, in, in Texas, that we sadly are a, a state leader in non-accidental trauma and, you know, some of these things for kids. And so we've seen very similar things um, just with, you know, patients coming into the hospital. But to your point, I think we've also seen potentially some situations that weren't happening before this, the stressors, you know, of COVID. And it really is. It's a it's an unprecedented time with all of these stress. And I would say all of this, um, irrespective of what you know field we work in, are feeling uneasiness about what's the future going to look like? Are they going to have school? You know, how, how is this going to change stuff? Not, not even when you put on top of that 
job loss and, you know, all of these things. Um, so do you think that kids, you know, during this pandemic, do you feel like kids are at higher risk for abuse during this time? We do. Um, the, with higher stress, it, that tends to be one of the biggest risk factors of abuse, right? Um, abuse cuts across SES and ethnicity and all those kinds of things. It's stressors um, that, that add to that. Um, so the, the other component we think is the most important um, is that lack of access to the support systems that most of them had. Uh, we hear a lot that many state hotlines calls are down, right? And, and that makes it seem like abuse isn't happening, but we believe that that's because the mandated reporters, the safe adults that speak out for children, they aren't laying eyes on the kids, right? They're not seeing the bruises and, and, and the signs. Um, and so then that abuse is going unseen and possibly intensifying, right? Um, because there's that protection. So yes, we think that there's a higher risk there for kids. Yeah, that's it, it scares me, too, because I feel like we've seen some really severe kids, you know, that have come in um, for us as well. I also worry about I said this on the last thing. I also worry that kids just in general are not getting health care, um, you know, because of these things. And even my, my own situation, um, you know, I'm a working mom and I have my mother has always been the person who has helped me with my children. But then my mom is now in this age range that we're trying to be extremely careful you know, around my mother. And so even in my own life, I can attest to there's there's real stressors that happen when you kind of upset this system of support um, that, that's been there. So what statistically do you see? Are you seeing this, you know, bear out in statistics for child abuse and or other indicators of child abuse? So there's kind of those um, conflicting numbers, right? The states reporting down. Um, our hotline experienced an increase in contacts. Um, so when you, you know, a lot of rates stay relatively the same. They fluctuate through the year, but year to year, they're very similar. So for um, March, April, and May, um, our numbers went up anywhere between 17 and 43% of people reaching out. Um, and there's just so many populations that are impacted. You know, you kind of talked about, you look at, we saw we heard stories from college kids that had been displaced from their, their, you know, their living conditions are back in maybe not so functional households and they're not necessarily children but they're also young adults and where do they go they might be witnessing things happening with siblings and not sure what to do there were so many custody complications yeah. right like how to keep kids safe not being able to see the kids not being able to have access to resources with the mm -hmm. shutdown many cps or even emergency services they shut down a little bit too and so that that gray area that's almost harder, the emotional abuse, the, the witnessing violence, those are the things that I think are most scary because we, we aren't able to see the effects yet on the kids until they get out and get back into safe populations. Yeah, I agree. And that's always one of the things that we talk about around here is kind of this long-term effect um, that you can have. And, you know, we, we talk about it not just in child abuse terms, but in this childhood trauma um, and that kind of gets to the the thing that you were discussing with, um, you know, it, a kid can have trauma and be having other forms, you know, of of trauma that are that are not just broken bones and you know the things that we historically think about whenever you see kids come in, um, you know, with this stuff. So talk to me a little bit about that. So talk to me more about kind of the long term effects, and I'm going to put it in that bigger box of childhood trauma. 
Right. So for me, the ACEs research is the best at really establishing what those long-term effects are. Right. It does a great job of breaking down all those little intricate situations, whether it's abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, neglect, physical or emotional, and then your household challenges. Right. The things I talked about: domestic violence, substance abuse. Um, uh, absent parent due to death or incarceration or divorce, those kinds of things. And they have compounding effects, right? The kids are forced into situations where they're dealing with stress levels that become toxic. And it literally changes brain development, right? At different ages, it impacts the depression, rates of depression and anxiety, suicidal ideation, um, the use of substance abuse. Um, but it also impacts physical health. Mm -hmm. Higher rates of cancer, right? Higher rates of diabetes, cardiovascular issues. I mean, the, the fingers are just so long reaching, um, especially on those things that you can't quite see, right? I mean, most people know the bruise or, you know, the heartbreak of a broken, you know, bone. Um, but all the layers of those other things are so vital. And we hear about that so often um, on our hotline. And this makes it even more intense. Yeah, no, I agree. And and I think the interesting thing, and I think um, this will probably be interesting to most of our viewers, is when you even when you even go over into the things about disease. Um, you know, I'm a, a pediatric hospitalist, and you know, so you know, mainly we we end up taking care of kids medically um, here in the hospital. And it's amazing to me when I began as a young physician to understand the statistics that you're talking about. That um, you know, we we probably understand that there's going to be some psychological effects you know, on kids. But I think that it's always surprising to people when they figure out even medically, um, kids who have suffered childhood trauma will do, they will have more issues, um, you know, with their overall health. And then some of the things that you were talking about there, man, it sure stresses me out because that, like, these are all the things that I'm hearing that are on the rise, you know, so we have heard about there's more substance abuse, you know, and clearly, obviously, because of economic situations, there are places that now food is harder, you know, to, to come by. Um, and so when you look at that list of stressors, I think that that's where the real thing, it's like COVID itself is stressful, um, but then all of these things that have happened because of this really raise that level um, of, of, of stress. And that brain development piece, that is always the piece that has stuck with me the most is because we are literally uh, reorganizing the way that that brain development occurs for childhood trauma. And I always feel like I wish that people could really understand those aspects of it, that this is not just if we can get them through the situation in the hospital, that somehow this is just going to be okay. Um, there's a lot of work that has to be done on the other side of that as well. Um, for that. So I want to turn just a little bit. Let, let's talk about, I hope that we have some parents that are listening today. And if you're a parent who's listening today, we are so grateful that you're here. And um, especially if you're someone who is, you know, having some of these stressors, you are not alone. Um, I think we're all experiencing these. But if you are a parent who's listening today, um, and, and they can either either be listening for themselves, or, you know, or other people, tell us about some things that they can do, both specifically with like an organization like yours, or other suggestions that you would have for them. Sure. Um, I just that first message should be that help is out there. Right. That, to me, that's number one. Um, parenting is already hard. And then you're talking about these extra stressors. So we that's often why we want to stay in that space in between official agencies, because we want to be that first step of a safe 
supportive environment. If somebody's struggling with it, it's okay, right? Yeah. Uh, we often use the, the metaphor of the oxygen mask, right? When you can put your oxygen mask on first, that's when you can help others. So it's not selfish. You are doing what's best for your family, right? Our counselors are there to help you through. We can brainstorm with you, let you vent, but we can also help search for resources within the system, right? So actually connecting to the programs, whether it's prevention or parenting things, or maybe even child protective services. You know, mm -hmm. they, they get a bad rap sometimes. You know, they, it's never, you know, if they take the kids, they're, you know, you know, they're stealing kids from, if they leave the kids, then they're leaving them in harm's way, right? But there's so much middle area. And the best situation, their goal is family, safety, family support. So when you're working collaboratively with them and it's not adversarial, it's so much more productive. So that's number one. Second though, sometimes there's outliers. We hear from grandparents or family members that are seeing abuse happening to, to other family members or people. So how do you support them? So again, we'd be happy to talk through that, finding new resources to, to come alongside someone, right? If you have that relationship. If it's not that way, who do you report to? Um, but then there's also a piece that to me is so vital, almost the same as the ACEs. The, the research on adverse childhood experiences is, is clear, but so is the research showing what the resiliency things are. And there are positive experiences. So one stable, healthy, loving adult in a child's life can become a buffer to all those things that they're experiencing. So people can do that. They can be a consistent encourager to kids. And it feels like not much, but research shows, you know, personal stories show it makes a difference. So I, I want that to be, you know, hugely encouraging to people. I know it doesn't feel like much, but that is doing something. Encouraging kids to be involved, finding activities that let a child have an outlet. Those are all things that are building blocks to supporting a child that has gone through these tough times. So that's, that's one main piece. Yeah, that's great. And that's, I would like to point out, I think, I think we're seeing this live um, as you and I are talking. And if you are watching us, you can see that there's actually the 1-800 number um, for these services. And, and I would say if you're having any questions, um, at all. And I'll, I'll repeat this again at the end, you know, of our time together, but um, we really encourage you to reach out to these services um, and, and be able, and, and I, I joked, I saw that I, the name the national, uh, which means um, if you're watching, um, that means you, you qualify to reach out to this number um, uh, to get, because we certainly um, want, want to get you um, some help. So, you know, one of the things that I get asked a lot um, you know, is, you know, have a mom and she's very nervous about the situation that they're in. And, you know, these questions about shelters and, you know, different things like that. And I get a lot of questions about, am I safe? You know, if I, if I go to a shelter, um, but I also think sometimes it's confusing to know when to do that. So I would love for you just to kind of interact a little bit with, you know, the, the question of shelters and, you know, the steps that you think someone should take if they're really in a dangerous situation. Sure. It's kind of back to that always reaching out for help. And yet I, I'm aware that there is research that kind of shows that one of the most dangerous times for someone to leave an, an abusive situation is when they leave. Um, yeah. And so that's obviously a very scary situation, but um, talking to a professional to try to safety plan is important, right? Really processing all the things that they have to think of. We do have that database that can refer them to local resources for them. But I also wanna say that one of our partner hotlines, one of the hotlines that we work alongside is the domestic violence hotline. And they specialize in the intimate partner violence and shelter finding, 
we have them as well. So you don't feel like you can't call us, but I want to throw them out there because they do specialize in that. Whereas ours is our focus is child abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, theirs can be those shelters. So people can call us and we can refer them as well. Um, but that's just a good thing to mention. Those shelters are out there. There's a lot of safety things that they put around those so that they're unlisted, which you, so you can only find them through you know, a hotline. Um, and, and there are steps that can be taken. Um, you know, we have a lot of legal resources in our database as well. So really trying to help um, families to connect to other kinds of supports if they have to. Mm-hmm. Just that brainstorming process. It can be overwhelming and scary to think about things like that. We want to come alongside you. I think that's great because, you know, really what we can, you know, talk about with a number like this and a place that they can call is, you know, if you were out there and you just don't know what to do, this is the right place to call because it sounds like you guys can help get them, you know, to the right resources um, and places. So, uh, you know, talking a little bit, I'll just turn a little bit to community involvement. Um, I, I know certainly, you know, living in Lubbock, Texas, um, I'm proud to say, you know, we have had here at the Children's Hospital, we, we have held a big conference every year that we bring all the folks in the community together um, here at the Children's Hospital to talk about strategies for child abuse, um, because it's more than just, it has to be more than just medical providers. You know, I always point out to people, by the time I see the kid, typically something, you know, bad has happened to them. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, leads up to the point at which um, that they actually come to me for, you know, for medical care. And so really we have tried to emphasize, you know, the importance of, of folks in the community, teachers and, you know, folks who work at daycares. And, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a long list of, you know, you mentioned lawyers, um, you know, people who understand, you know, the system and, and you know, um, police enforcement. I mean, there has just been at our conference, we, I feel like we have gotten so many leaders together. So what are ways, you know, if you're a community person and you're watching this and you're thinking, is there a role for me? And how is it that I can come alongside this? What would you say to those community leaders? Sure. I think one of the key pieces is helping with the prevention component, right? Educating kids on signs of abuse, how to, how to protect themselves, you know, sort of the um, inappropriate touch, boundaries, safe adults, it's okay to tell. All of that education puts up protective, you know, that, that extra fence that people have to come through um, in order to pick up kids. Sometimes it's being aware of stranger behaviors in, in a setting, right? Like having those protocols in place, whether it be, you know, always two adults, right? Like never having procedures that allow for situations. Uh, you know, so that kids know what to do, know who they can go to, and that you're helping set up scenarios that set a precedent and a culture of safety, mm-hmm. right? Those are people. Um, other people that are just looking to really get hands-on, there are lots of volunteer opportunities when it comes to, um, you know, whether doing these, these prevention programs or advocacy centers are, um, you know, kind of sprinkled across the country, um, but they're really state of the art when it comes to approaching with the child's best interest, right? Pulling together all of the investigative components so that you you aren't bringing a young child into a police station that could be very scary, right? So you're doing this in settings. And so a lot of those organizations rely on, on volunteers to kind of help um, with some of the programs they have. So that's another great way to really be on the front lines of it, um, you know, just behind the investigation. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, one of the things that um, um, that we always want to encourage people to do is like if you're a teacher, for instance, if you're a teacher, 
we want you to learn the way to recognize, you know, what I always call pre-abuse. So what are the things that are leading up to that? What are warning factors? What are things that you should be looking for? And I'm certain that you guys would have those type of resources as well um, to, you know, to help people understand what are the signs um, and symptoms. And so we've done a lot of that in our conference that we do together and try to bring people in and say, hey, those of you guys who have, you know, the, the first touch with these kids outside of their house, um, what are ways that you can help be a partner with that and be vigilant um, to help us get, you know, get kids educated. And then I'm sure it's the same where you live, but we have a bunch of providers in the community, um, everything from, you know, our United Way, you know, here in, in Lubbock to the school systems to, I mean, we just so many partners that are willing, you know, to step in, you know, to this space. So I'm going to turn us in a minute to questions, but I have one other question for you and it, it will just kind of, I'll call it the wrap up question. Um, and so anything else that you feel like would be pertinent to share um, just specifically about child abuse and COVID as we close? Sure. Well, I'd love to mention that some of the information that you've talked about is on our website. So even if you go there, there's these lovely PDFs that you can print out. Um, and then Child Help does have a curriculum as well that could help if you ever wanted to look at that. So just to throw that out there. Um, gosh, really, I, I just always want that reducing the stigma of asking for help, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, to say that over and over again, there is help out there. And, and it can be scary and hard to ask. Um, but let us be the first step if we can, you know, like that safe, confidential environment we start at. Let us be that first step to get you ready to, to reach out to the amazing programs and people that are out there that want to help. That's great. And actually, I, I love knowing that I did not know that about some of the, the training materials and stuff that are available. So we will we will make those. That's fantastic. I always say, why do you, you don't want to create something that someone right has already done a good job of, um, of doing. I'm going to turn to a question, and this is actually specifically for Covenant Children's. Um, and it says, how does Covenant Children's Hospital deal with the situation when they see a child that may be being abused? Um, and then the second question, or what are the signs, you know, that you look for? So, you know, again, the, the first question to deal with when we see a child that we think may be being abused, most of the time those kids actually will come to us through our ED. Um, and so in our emergency department, we will have kids that come in for various things. Um, I would say that obviously sometimes it's very obvious. So, you know, there are some injuries and some things that a kid comes in with that it's very clear um, that this is a, you know, probably a child abuse situation. Sadly, we also have some others that I would say, you, you know, you see a kid with something that just doesn't quite make sense. Um, on the story. So um, oftentimes one of the things that will kind of pique our interest um, at this is like when the story doesn't really add up to the, you know, the particular injury um, that you're seeing. I would also say like different accounts of the story. And so sometimes it's really soft kind of signs, um, you know, to these things. And it's difficult because um, I have boys um, is the only um, children that I have. And man, they break bones and they, you know, they jump off of things. And, um, and so it, you know, I get asked a lot of questions about how are you, you know, how do you distinguish between a kid who's just, you know, a boy and is doing those things with broken bones. And I would say that there's some signs, but I will tell you that sometimes those are hard um, and it's hard to know. And I do think sometimes people also fear, what if I make this accusation and then it wasn't true. Um, and, and the way that I always talk to my patients is, um, I tell them my concerns. 
And, and I, I just come out with it in terms of, look, my, my responsibility as the pediatrician that's seeing this kid is to ensure that this child is safe. And so if you feel like I'm asking you more questions with this, please know it's because I want to support you. And it's because we, if there's something going on, we want to get you help. But certainly my job is to protect the child. Um, and, and actually, I've had really good success with just kind of leading with that honesty um, with people when, when you're asking questions. Um, and certainly there is, um, I'm so proud to say at our children's hospital, we have um, access to a child abuse specialist. Um, she can be exceptionally helpful um, to come in and look at records and, you know, kind of piece things together for us to see if we think that this is a picture, you know, that that's concerning, you know, for abuse. Um, so I, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a difficult um, situation. So I think right now uh, I am, this is the only question um, that potentially I'm seeing. Um, Laurel, um, I told you, I thought it was a beautiful name. So um, thank you so much for joining us today. And just so, so grateful for the work that you guys are doing and this, you know, stepping into this space of child abuse and, um, and also just the services that you guys are providing. And, and I'll just make one last plea and then I'll ask if Laurel has anything else to add. And that's, again, if you are watching this and you either know a child that you think is being abused, um, or if you are a parent or a caregiver of a child and you are experiencing um, stress and you feel like you need help, um, please reach out to this hotline and, and or to air, you know, things in your region um, and, and we just want to ask you to get help. So Laurel, I'll just, I'll ask if you have any parting words and. Um, just a thank you for, for having me on and for speaking on this, this topic. We obviously we believe it's so important. Um, so we appreciate your partnership. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And y'all keep up the good work. Keep, keep standing in that space. All right. Thank you.